Hello, Valparaiso. This is Allison Schutte. And Willa Walsh. And Regan Skaggs. And you're listening to... Welcome Project Radio. The Welcome Project collects first-person stories and pairs them with facilitated conversation to help participants forge stronger ties within and across communities. We vision a world in which people are curious about and actively seek to engage those who are un- who are different from themselves. We are proudly underwritten by Asana Yoga Center and Roots Market Cafe, two excellent ways to feel good this summer. They're located online at asanacenter.com and rootsmarketcafe.com. Theme music is provided by WVPL's very own Paul Schreiner. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> Today we bring you a story from the Welcome Project's archives titled Corrupting the Moral Fiber and... We've gotten permission from one of our listeners to read you a piece of feedback that we got on our LGBTQ plus allyship episode. So we're actually going to read that for you today and we're going to have a discussion uh, amongst ourselves. So that's a fun little tidbit we're doing. Isn't it always? (laughs) Um, So first, let's jump into the feedback received. But before we even do that, let's give a brief synopsis um, because this listener is responding to a story from a few episodes back. Um, They're talking about the love the sinner hate the sin story so in that story the speaker is a religious student with a role in the chapel who personally believes that homosexuality is a sinful behavior but doesn't um lead with that in his relationships he sees the main call of christians to be facilitators of god's love and he practices seeing christ in everyone this led to some students coming out to him and he says that he's glad because he'd rather be seen as an ally opposed to an enemy Great. So um, I just want to say we're super excited to have our first piece of fan mail. (laughs) And if our listener is listening, I hope it's okay that we call you a fan. (laughs) You're our first. So um, it's a title of honor. Um, Okay. So the uh, reply from our listener um, begins... It's certainly not as present in my everyday life to be able to have the kinds of on-depth, in-depth discussions that he was hearing between, in that particular episode, me, Allison, and Willow. Um, and it's so it's not as present in his everyday life away from Valparaiso that I get to listen in on a conversation that challenges my initial response to a text or an experiences and pushes me to think and see further. I found it especially insightful, the recognition of the diversity of the queer community and the potential merit of having people outside of that community that might not be helpful as allies to all LGBTQ plus folks, but almost provide, as contradictory as it may sound, an entry point of inclusion for those queer people that grew up in those settings slash hold a lot of internalized homophobia as the result of religious views. So I'm going to pause there because (laughs) um, since it's been a while since we played the story, it might um, be a little hard to unpack some of what our listener was saying. Um, But I believe what the listener is getting at here is that the storyteller from Love the Sinner, Hate the Sin does not see himself as among the queer community. Um, And for... Uh, a lot of us who do identify in the queer community to have an ally outside of that community with the explicit religious belief that homosexuality is a sin, like that usually automatically throws that person out of allyship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But one of the things we, uh, Willow and I were talking about in listening to the storyteller is how for queer folk who are just coming out Um, to themselves, to friends and family who also share or grew up in that religious tradition where they would have been informed by that that belief system that homosexuality is a sin, to have someone close to you religiously in beliefs might be a entry point to coming out Mm -hmm. in ways that might be harder for that person to do to someone who's radically queer. (laughs) So that is a part of what um, our listener is getting at here, that it could be a point of inclusion for like Christian queer people who grew up holding or still having or still shedding some of that internalized homophobia. Mm -hmm. And I remember too, like part of our conversation, we were talking about um, like what type of, like the variety of allies, because I like that he mentions also like that, 
ally, like this speaker and the story, love the sin or hate the sin, definitely wouldn't be an ally for me. But like having that that variety of people to where it's like, as you said, the entry point in terms of like maybe they can advance to the radically queer friends and uh, supporters later on. But I, I I love that there is that distinction that like the listener was like doesn't necessarily define them as allies. But yeah, they still have help. So do you want to go on with reading oh, yeah. the listener's so I can go ahead. response then? Yeah, so okay, so the, so the listener uh, picks up here. I think particularly for my corner of the world, those aspects of queer journeys can get overlooked and the complexity of holding space for, li- for religion ignored. I feel very much for Liz and that my appreciation is probably more so geared towards your and Willow's discussion of the story than the story itself because the discussion tries to give a balanced pros and cons kind of discussion of it, but to look at it in the, quote, least friendly light, that's just fishing out a few positives one can find and working with what you've got. Of course, it could be beneficial for some individuals, especially at the start of their self-acceptance journey, to encounter people who can deeply empathize with their strong religious upbringing and promote a form of self-love, albeit alongside the internalized homophobia. However, I think queer spaces and queer communities are, and really should be, all about radical and idealistic thinking, and to that extent, that would really be the most helpful to the diverse queer community as a group of, quote, true allies. The way you and Willow conceive of them, I'd say, that is so large that it reflects the same diversity as inside the community allies who can empathize with strong religious environments, but nonetheless gone through enough relearning to pass on true self-acceptance to individuals that find themselves needing guidance from one of these allies. So let's just pause for a minute. We have, we do have a little bit more of the fan letter. So (laughs) this listener is nothing if not uh, communicative and we love that. And we actually really miss being in conversation with this person and Someday we might get to do a Zoom cast with <laughs> with him. Um, but we wanted to pause here to do what we would typically do with a Welcome Project story and just make sure that we understand how the, the listener here is defining what an ally is. Um, and then we'll go back and, or we'll, we'll add to that anything that we might want to say about what we imagine an ally. Um, and then put that in relationship to what the love the sinner, hate the sin storyteller says. So I don't know when the two of you are looking back over what the listener has said here about true allies um, who can empathize with strong religious environments have nonetheless gone through enough relearning to pass on true self-acceptance. What do you see, like what's at the heart of being an ally for for the listener like I mean for me it it says like I'm taking that extra step that sort of like relearning um like to be able to empathize but also have this like critical like understanding of like how maybe your religious context can affect somebody in the LGBTQ community and so this idea of like it's not just saying like love the sin or hate the sin but I think for the listener it's it's a little something more for him to really accept this person as being an ally because it's not just oh i can love you as an individual but still think that like you are fundamentally wrong in christ's eyes type of thing but it's like acknowledge it's like taking more steps from that and i think he even like says radical in this part too like this idea that it, it has to take a few more steps to get there it's not just like I'm still holding this religious view. I mean, you can still hold a religious view, but the idea is that like you're acknowledging the way that this religious community um, kind of talks about and perceives homophobia and just LGBTQ people. And so you have to kind of like have that acknowledgement because he talks about like to promote a form of self-love alongside the internalized homophobia so it has to like actually do something not just recognize the queer person but also like promote a form of self-love once they actually do come out so I think for him it sounds like it should be a little bit more than what the speaker and love the sin or hate the sin was talking about 
yeah i mean to be explicit i think the listener is saying this is not good enough um yeah and i i tend to agree you know and and like you guys talked about a, a good starting point but definitely not where i would hope somebody would end their journey of self-acceptance or um and, and attempting to find a community um you know people deserve radical acceptance and it, it really brings to mind those conversations of well, it's acceptable for you to be a gay woman or a trans man or whatever, but you need to do it in such a such way. So if you're trans, you had better be heterosexual. If you're trans, you better be binary. And I binary identified trans, so a trans man or a trans woman. If you are homosexual or somebody who experiences bisexuality, whatever, you better pick one. Like, you better get married. Like, there are all these, you better still want to have children. There are all these, like, additional, well, it's okay if you're like this, if, when, and how, versus, like, okay, so there are, just like me, a human being, there are a lot of ways to be gay, there are a lot of ways to be trans, and I accept you in all of those ways. Yeah, so one of the quotes from the storyteller, I love the sinner, hate the sin, um, he, he seemed to, to define ally in part as a matter of walking with people and sharing the journey of life with people. And I think it's interesting because it is both more generic and also, Willow, as you were saying, focused on like the individual. So it doesn't take into account homophobia and the, the uh, impact that has on our culture and then people in the culture like it hasn't had that critical analysis at all and I mean I suppose that's not surprising because this person does think homosexuality is a sin and so <clears throat> they can't necessarily well I don't know that's actually an interesting question can you can you have that religious belief and still be aware that there's homophobia in the world like still consider it to be a sin Right. Can you think it's a sin and still be conscious of homophobia? <laughs> I think yes. Um, I'm not from Valparaiso, Indiana, dear listeners. <laughs> I am from a smaller town in Indiana that is very conservative um, and small, a lot, um, smaller than Valparaiso, that's for sure. Um, and I think I know people like that. I think I know a fair amount of people like that who this is what I would call the extent to their quote-unquote allyship is being able to understand that, well, we can have this conversation about this and then I'll bring up a statistic like, well, you know, like LGBT kids, like they kill themselves at a way higher rate than other people or they end up homeless or whatever. And I can have this conversation with like these very conservative people and they'll be like, well, yeah, it's because their parents are kicking them out or it's because their parents aren't treating them well. And they'll acknowledge that those things are bad or wrong while still saying that well you know it is a lot of stress on a family for a member to be part of the lgbt community where that family sees that as yeah immoral yeah it's still immoral it's still something that your parents are gonna have to struggle with because in the words of some of these people like you know you don't want your loved one to go to hell yeah and because they're gay or trans yeah. they're going to hell um so. While still acknowledging, like, well, you shouldn't kick your child out because they are part of the LGBT community. Well, you shouldn't abuse your child. Like, they, you know, people still have humanity, but yeah, they do still have those those feelings. You're listening to Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio with me, Allison, Willow, and Reagan. And today we have been, um, we started a little differently than usual. We have our first piece of fan mail so we've been reading that and um, using it as a way to kind of revisit a story and a discussion that had really inspired the listener. So I wonder, Reagan, if you want to go ahead and finish up the letter from the listener um, and we'll go from there. Like I said, that's all very idealistically speaking, but I think that's important to envision so you know what you are working towards. In the same way, these welcome project talks add to the creation of this ideal environment of people wanting to learn etc they wouldn't be as effective without this ideal you're working towards this isn't to say i'm not glad that certain core people in valpo in the valpo community found some form of allyship in the religious environment but part of me is wary of it being some kind of trap we have this saying in dutch the listener is not from america sorry did not clarify this earlier um 
this wouldn't be a response by me if I didn't bring up a Dutch saying, would it? <laughs> is to make someone happy with a dead sparrow, meaning you give someone the illusion of gifting them something, in this case, allyship, while in reality, you have been giving them nothing, disguised homophobia that doesn't lead to true self-acceptance. Maybe I'm letting myself get a little too harsh here on the storyteller. Yes. So is he or is he correct that there is a kind of trap to this sense that the storyteller has well because somebody came out to me they must see me as trustworthy and therefore an ally to them somebody that can see them in their dignity because they embody christ and therefore i am going to just meet them where they're at and that person will never have to know what my religious worldview is on the question is there a trap in there somewhere a dead sparrow <laughs> making somebody <laughs> happy with a dead sparrow that's such a shocking image mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean i feel like this i mean like from this i would want to know how the person who came out to the speaker and love the sin or hate the sin feels about it because there is that sort of like like you mentioned like they don't necessarily know the speaker's views um on homosexuality and like whether or not it's a sin but they're still seen as part of like the christ community so i think like i mean if the person doesn't know the person coming out to the christian person doesn't know and the christian person doesn't make it necessarily obvious that you know, they view it as a sin, but they're still, you know, walking with the queer person who came out to them. I mean, I think it all depends on the queer person. But for me, in that situation, I don't know, that feels so, like, so dependent on, you know, the Christian speaker's, like, manner of how they're interacting with the queer person that came out to them. Because it's like, it could be, like, so off the cuff and kind of vague to the point where it's just like, oh, like, thank you for telling me that. Like, I'm glad you felt comfortable sharing, you know, this coming out story with me. Um, But it's like, it could be more than that. And there could be, I think what our listener here is saying, that there could be little things that happen, little like slights that ring kind of homophobic that can still kind of create this sense in the queer person's mind that like what they're doing is wrong. And I think that's where I take issue. So it's like, you know, if the Christian person had said, oh, thank you for telling me, I didn't think somebody like you would be a part of that community. You know, that to them is can be received as like, oh, a part of that community? Like, is there something wrong with me or that community? You know, there's sort of like microaggressions that could happen there. And so I think like, I think the listener is very right that this definitely could do harm in this scenario, but not every time. Like if you just keep it really vague, and keep the microaggressions and homophobia as much as you can out of the way, it might be still helpful as an entry point into the community, but I don't know. I would be, if this was my kid coming out to somebody, I would be like, oh my gosh, I would not want them near this person who could like instill some sort of like negative perception of themselves. I mean, the listener seems really intent on making sure that the person coming out, or sorry, what I mean to say is, the listener sees the person coming out as on a journey towards self-acceptance. And that Mm. process of coming out is um, a step in that journey, which depending on like how many times you've come out to people, it could be an early part of that journey towards self-acceptance, or it could be a, a much later part. But anyway, it seems like the listener's concern is, is the queer person really accepting themselves And isn't an ally supposed to help someone in the queer community make sure that that acceptance is full, complete, Mm -hmm. robust? And like, how can you do that as an ally if you yourself think there's something flawed about the self? Although, uh, I don't know, like, to be fair to that Christian worldview, I see love the sinner, hate the sin as them believing there's something flawed about queer people, Mm -hmm. but I don't know that they would put it that way. Like at least this storyteller seems to think that he can fully embrace the person. They embody Christ. Like, so there's nothing flawed about the person in that storyteller's mind. Mm -hmm. Um, And it seems like 
he leaves any sort of judgment about the sinness like that's not his purview mm-hmm. that's up to god so he doesn't even have to concern himself with it in some sense except for that it's a part of his belief system that he needs to you know it's his values so he needs to live them out mm-hmm. so i i just i almost feel like for those of us in the queer community hearing this storyteller and if we've heard before over and over and over again, love this sin or hate this sin, it's like we can't help but hear that as saying that queer people are flawed. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we inhabited a different framework, <laughs> that wouldn't be exactly the message. I don't know. Do you have insight, Ray? <laughs> well, what this really reminds me of is this being something. So the ally, the the quote unquote ally that is having this love the sin or hate the sin mindset, being relatively fine on an individual level. Like you and Willow have both touched on how in context, like let's say this person is a part of like a larger church community. This person that had come out to the speaker was also part of this church community that does say something that they were maybe willing to come out and like willing to have this experience, assuming that this is the church's doctrine that, you know, homosexuality is a sin. Um, but where the real problem for me as, as always is, is the, in the systematic part of it. So as an individual, I don't necessarily begrudge this individual, this perspective. I don't necessarily begrudge this individual, um, this way of living their life or like this way of practicing this thought process. Um, like you said, like there is, there is empathy there. There is an attempt there. There is something there. And there is like somebody in who is in that space. There is a a placeholder there for them. And for that, I am, um, in the great theoretical way, grateful. Um, but the issue is the systematic part of it. So the system here being the church that inherently within the church, that this is a belief that is acceptable, acceptably held. So these people wouldn't be in this situation if this system did not exist in the way that it did. So I guess maybe my instinct is to put less onus on the speaker and to put more on the institution that the speaker is a part of. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I saw, I saw a TikTok recently. I know I talk about this a lot, um, but it was this video of this girl who had just gotten um, over uh, a breakup, and she was going through steps of rejection with her therapist and like ways that she can like open herself up and experience like like not experience rejection. And so one of the things was she went to the local grocery store and she asked the dude by the PA system like, "Hey, can I make an announcement in the grocery store?" And, you know, he was like, yeah. And she's like, yeah, just like a regular announcement. And he let her. And she was just saying, like, hey, shoppers, I just want to let you know that this is my favorite grocery store ever and have a beautiful day. And they let her. And then she left. And I think there's something so valuable just in that, like, like I would never walk into a grocery store and assume that anybody would let me on the PA system. But I think for her, that was so powerful to, like, walk in there and be like, can I do this crazy thing? And somebody said yes. And so I wonder if it's, like, between this Christian speaker and the queer person that came out to them, I wonder if it can be, like, a similar function, like, to remove the scariness of, like, mm-hmm. you know, like maybe you have, like, really Christian parents or family, and it's just, like, maybe you're testing your boundaries on this Christian person at school and you're, you know, you, you came out to them and they said like, oh, thank you for telling me. And like that, like that potentially that could have like blown their mind. Like I wouldn't think like maybe they thought that, you know, they would be so hated and like just cast aside, but maybe like for them, that's just one step of like, maybe the next time I come out, it won't be as hard. But what I hear, like what our listener is saying is that that experience cannot replace what full allyship can replace for that queer person yeah like maybe they can learn something like oh i wasn't immediately rejected by a christian person maybe i'm okay and i can do this but then along the lines i definitely agree with the listener that you do want to find people who are fully accepting of you in yourself because then i think that's when you like in terms of like figuring out your identity start to parse like okay i can be a queer person and i also understand my relationship with Christianity and you can kind of bridge those things. But yeah, anyway, I don't think the the Christian person in the other story 
should necessarily be their journey for allyship, but maybe it's just that like that little bit, that little bit, just like the non-rejection. I think that's maybe a part that could be helpful. Yeah, and we talked about this on the show when we were discussing this story that, um, you know, it is a process, it is a journey. If you're in a homophobic society and you come to understand yourself as queer, like that has to be a process. It can't just be, I, I feel like for myself, I so often want like my epiphanies to be instantaneously transforming. So, you know, it could even be on something that has nothing to do with identity. Like, I don't need to be anxious because in every present moment, I am breathing and I can just follow my breath. There's no reason for anxiety. Like, ding. And now from here on out, I will never feel anxiety again. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't work that way, right? Like this is, it's iterative, meaning like we have to go through it again and again. It requires practice because we really are like retraining our neurons and how they fire, especially if we're in a society where the homophobia in this case is still operating and present. Um, so I, I do think that's why when we were talking about this story last time, we were understanding, um, you know, the queer community is broad and diverse. And for the three of us in this room and for this listener, whom we know pretty well, uh, like we don't have the same connection to the religious tradition that this, that that storyteller and the person that was coming out to him Shared, So we do need to remember, you know, that the, the queer community is, is broader than sometimes we in our, he calls it radical idealistic bubble, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, want it to be where we could just have everybody wake up from homophobia and then ding, it's gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not operating in our institutions, in our family lives, in the way we educate. Um which I think is why he he uses the word idealistic earlier when he's sort of recognizing that what he wants is is a pretty big cultural transformation that we actually have to work pretty hard at Mm -hmm. to to arrive at if we ever get there yeah I mean but that's what he contextualizes that though right he's like you know that's you know and that's again he's right in saying that's partially what the welcome project is working off of is like this ideological assumption that ideological is not the word the ideal assumption that people are as a whole doing their best to be better and to learn about others um in a way that is helpful to others and not painful to others and to have that experience so it's like that same that same you have to live your life that way while understanding that maybe that isn't always the case but i think for the listener it's you know we need to also understand that in this context if we're going to hold ourselves to that standard like maybe we can hold others to that standard in the case of the speaker i mean i also think it's interesting just sort of stepping back from this part of the conversation that the listener wrote in the first place because he was asked to and experienced considering a position that he himself wouldn't have had just listening to the story on his own. Mm -hmm. And I think when he mentions Liz earlier, he's thinking about Liz saying to him that she has a similar reaction that he he did when he first just heard the story. It's like, oh, I'm going to write this person off as an ally. That's not allyship. No way. Mm -hmm. So, I I mean, I think I, I, I mean, I just love that about, like, even though it, he the listener had to write us back again <laughs> when when we asked if we could read the letter on the air because he needed to clarify that he actually holds this other position <laughs> this more <laughs> radical position like he had to be sure that we knew that that our listeners knew that um but it was that like oh i hadn't thought about it that way that motivated him to actually share with us like how he had enjoyed listening to the conversation so I just think that's 
I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. It's so interesting, like mm-hmm. opened to see something another way and then quickly being like, but I still believe what I always believed. <laughs> That's that feels like uh, something I can definitely identify. Oh, yeah. <laughs> really too. You are listening to WVLPLP at 103.1 FM in Valparaiso. And you're here with me, Allison Schutte and Willa Walsh and Reagan Skaggs. And today on Listen Up, we've been discussing fan mail we got about a previous episode. Um, And we're going to shift in the second hour to a story corrupting the moral fiber. And then we'll be doing more or less what we typically do in terms of asking questions of each other. So is there um, anything that you wanted to say, Willow, in terms of setting up the story? This is just about um, a student's experience on campus at Valpo University, and this one is also just a part of our Welcome Project archive, and it's titled Corrupting the Moral Fiber. I think most people, like, if I came out to them or something, they, like, would be like, okay, that's, you know, it's whatever. But there's a difference between what, like, what they would say to your face and what they say to people, and I feel like I have a good, pretty good sense of like what goes on on campus and in regards to that. And I think a lot of people just are uncomfortable with it because there is such a like, because it is like a Christian school, right? So a lot of people have this preconceived notion about what gay people are, like, or have really strong beliefs that it's like immoral or sinful and stuff like that. Valpo really likes to hide things that are going wrong. Like, for instance, a, a, well, it was actually last semester. Someone had printed out, like, all these derogatory things from, like, blogs and stuff. And then they put the... There's mailboxes over there in the SOS suite that each student org has. And they put, like, really... They put, like, um, information that was targeting specific groups of people into those boxes. So, like, BSO, the Black Student Organization, got, like, really racist stuff about how black people were, like, corrupting the moral fiber of America... Res Life got, like, anti-Semitic stuff, which is random. Live, the Latino organization, got stuff. We got stuff. And, no, and of course, so Vupti came to investigate, right? The camera that's supposed to be there didn't work. So they have no idea who did it. And they, like, covered it up. Like, DCC, the Diversity Concerns Committee, is supposed to know about that. Jane in the Office of Multicultural Programs is supposed to know that, like, like the dean of student affairs everyone's supposed to know this stuff was going on and somehow it got completely silenced and i was actually the one who had to tell somebody on dcc that you know this happened but there's like no they said there was a formal investigation but nothing ever like came up that and like allison talked to um president heckler and was like why didn't why why didn't the campus know about this because nobody knows that this happened it was like kept really hush hush and he was like, well, we don't want it to, in, like, to initiate a copycat crime. Um, because a couple of years ago, I think it was when we were freshmen, the, the MLK Center that used to be like down there got vandalized. And there were like swastikas and racial epithets put on it all over the place. And then after people made like a big to-do about that, as they rightfully should, right? Um, somebody burned it down. So they were afraid that if they said something about this incident, that somebody would do something more on a grander scale, I guess you could say. This is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio with Allison Willow and Reagan. And we just played a story from our campus archive uh, about a student who identifies as gay and um, is part of Alliance, was part of Alliance when he was a student there, which is the LGBTQ plus organization. Um, where would you like to start with this story today? Um, maybe we can just go over like how uh, the speaker thinks about the relationship between Valpo University as a Christian school and uh, the LGBTQ students on campus. Because every time, I feel like every time I hear Balboa University is a Christian school, I hear it coming from gay people, which I think is really <laughs> funny. Um, but yeah, but I don't know. He seems to think it's like really tenuous. Yeah, I mean, I um, definitely hear the storyteller saying that there's a 
surface acceptance. Mm. Um, and then underneath or behind that is this larger culture. So I wonder if, Reagan, this gets back to your thoughts about institutions and what norms they're operating on. And so, um, you know, Valparaiso University is a Lutheran institution. It ad- it advertises itself as independently Lutheran. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who don't know, um, there's several different denominations within the Lutheran church. And there's a tendency to split um, them between the ELCA, which people would identify as more liberal and progressive, and then the Missouri Synod, and then the other synods, which are even more conservative than the Missouri Synod. Um, so Valparaiso University is supposed to be independent, meaning not beholden to that kind of split or divide. But of course, you know, I mean, like people, it has histories and it has a stronger historical connection to the Missouri Synod. Um, but today it's it has more Catholic students than it has Lutheran students. So um, the identity, the Lutheran identity of the institution is a little bit more in flux than when I was a student there in the 90s even. Um, anyway, so that's a little just like context or background, but it does seem to me that this student um, is sensing like there's, again, not full acceptance. Um, it didn't sound like he was having a positive or even a reason to come out to people. I guess that's how I heard it. Because mm-hmm. he said, like, if I came out to them or something. <laughs> no, I mean, I feel like I was also a student at Valpo relatively recently. <laughs> and I feel like that's pretty a pretty... Maybe that's not fair of me, but a pretty accurate statement of, you know, Valpo's general population disposition. I know the institution itself has a diversity statement and would say otherwise, but like, for example, um, if you are a same-sex couple, I don't know their stance on transgender, um, opposite sex or, uh, identifying couples, but if you are a same-sex couple, you cannot get married in the chapel here at Valparaiso University. Um, and that's always been, you know, a sticking point because I had a, when I, I worked also as a student on campus, um, I had a couple different jobs. One of my bosses was a lesbian. She and her fiance had met on Valpo campus. They had made um, this big to do, like they loved the local art museum. They like they went to all the events. Like she, because of her job, planned all of these wonderful events for Valparaiso University. Um, and she was really upset because she was not allowed to get married at the chapel on campus. And she was a very Christian woman. And that was not an option for her. That was not something that her and her partner could do because of that so there is I would say like there is a very there is what the institution says and then there is what the institution does Um, and I would say that is a pretty big gap even now years after this speaker has left Valparaiso yeah I remember when I started teaching in 2005 the alumni notes in the like back of the alumni magazine where they would announce like congratulations so-and-so got married congratulations so-and-so has kids so-and-so got a job and that was stuff that was submitted by alumni you know just listing names and stuff so like if you wanted to go look up you know your year of graduation 1993 you could see if there was any of your classmates who were saying something about what their life was like Um, and you could not they would not print anything having to do with uh, queer couples Um, and that had to be fought for long and hard (laughs) that has changed um but you know like you're saying reagan that hasn't worked its way through the institution entirely like it's almost as if the institution now separates the chapel in some sense from itself as a larger institution which is supposed to be more inclusive um, but makes religious exemptions for the chapel so that sounds awfully familiar. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It just sounds so Midwestern, like this, like surface niceness, but there's like something brewing underneath. <laughs> <laughs> Some Southern Gothic literature. <laughs> but I don't know. Just this idea of like trying to like cover your butt on all sides, like you know, 
it sounds like uh, President Heckler in this instance, it's like, I know you're probably responding to, is it like the board of directors or something like that? Yeah, so the it's like president you're, is. So it's like there's like yeah. a conservative interest group that you have to respond to, but then also the students that you have to respond to. And then there's just, so it just feels like a lot of like, um, I don't know, saying things and doing, I mean, in my opinion, the bare minimum. But I think that's like, that goes back to what you were saying, Reagan, about like the sort of like the institution of it makes it so, I don't know, difficult to deal with it in in a good way. I don't know. But another one of my questions that I had was like, how, like, what did the university do according to the speaker? And then... Like, what What do you think they would have liked to have seen done? Because it doesn't sound like what they wanted to see done happen. <laughs> well, supposedly there was a formal investigation, um, at least after the speaker apparently brought this up to Vupti. It, from what sounds like happened, did not get brought up um, until this student, I would that a little angry about that, brought this up to uh, an authority. That's um, So that happened and then it seems like you know again there was this quote-unquote formal investigation that nobody ever heard anything about or at least the speaker at the time of this recording had not heard anything about um there was some justification given for that but this speaker is left in limbo um and i'm sure a lot of students and um cultural groups in campus even if they didn't attend these organizations were also left in limbo and very aware or feeling you know what had happened. Yeah, and I think, though I might be reading into it at this point, that the student, the storyteller, is saying that these, this sort of like bias material or hate mail was having an impact on the students that found the material in their boxes, Mm -hmm. their mailboxes. And then because there's no discussion about it, like there's no response, public response by the university. I'm guessing they're feeling left in limbo about like, well, this, you know, this is traumatizing. Like what, um, how are we supposed to hold this? What are we supposed to do with this? Do you have our back? Do you not have our back? So I would warrant that that wasn't the president's intention and that whoever else in the executive administration was making the decision about covering it up or keeping it hush-hush, they weren't thinking like, oh, if we don't have some sort of public response to this, the students who experienced it are going to feel hung out to dry. Mm -hmm. But that, I think, is what's motivating the speaker's concern here, is that if you don't speak about these kinds of experiences when they happen the people to whom they happen feel isolated, marginalized, not attended to. Um, But do you think I'm overreaching? Like what it would feel like to be a student getting that kind of material and then being in a campus where you're just like, does anybody know about this? Does anybody care about this? Like what happened? I don't think you're reaching. Um, I really, really don't. Um, So... I don't know what this student is kind of really the speaker is really touching on really reminds me of a lot of um, like community policing, like um, abolition, like justice abolition conversations where it's like, well, you say that you're doing X, Y and Z, but this has more of an impact than you're acknowledging. So it's not just a matter of like catching this individual, but it's a matter of like hearing the community um, and allowing the community to process that you know, communally and individually via acknowledgement and transparency. So this is something that when you go into like a prison abolition space or you go into a community policing space, which um, for those that don't, community policing is um, the idea of having police be more of a part of the community um, and then maybe regulating some like mental health things to social workers, having more of a social work background for police officers, that kind of movement. Um, This is step one. For a lot of this stuff because to be honest like the camera is broken there's not a lot that they can do um, the institution is right on that stance um, for a lot of vandalism property crimes and all that other fun stuff in general yeah there's not a lot that they can do they can record it they can document it they can look for a pattern if there's a camera they can probably catch that person but that is 
probably the extent of what they're able to do. But so often these institutions forget the emotional impact of these things um, and they don't follow through on that front. And I will say that Valpo is doing a little bit, at least when I was a student, better about that. Um, I think in 2016, there was somebody put up all over campus, it's okay to be white signs. Um, and there was a community event about that. I attended that event. Um, it was facilitated well. Um, all kinds of people came to that event, people who thought that these signs were fine and people who were negatively impacted by these signs and people who were trying to understand what these signs meant. Um, and like there was a community conversation that happened. So there are some, but I would also say this was not something that was brought on by the president. This is a, a relatively newer uh, diversity committee, committee that was able to put on that event and facilitate that event. So there is some improvement but yeah, that emotional impact is definitely there. Yeah, I mean, I do want to give some credit, I guess, to President Heckler because he did actually change his position on that. I think he finally, after this kind of incident, I don't know that it was immediate, but began to really listen more carefully to um, what others had to say about why public acknowledgement for these kinds of actions and behaviors was important. And um, in addition to like what you're remembering about the it's okay to be white signs, um, he had started doing public emails when something would happen um, so that the, he could make, he could have the opportunity to name what this institution's values were. So um, it's rhetorical, but it is actually taking a stand and I, um, this is starting to step away from the storyteller, so we don't need to go here yet, but I wonder what you think about that. Like, for example, the university now has its um, statement of diversity, inclusion, and equity right under the Valparaiso University mission statement on the webpage. It's like the next thing that you see. Mm-hmm. And that was also hard fought for, but is a... Ooh, relative to where Valparaiso University has been, a very bold move on the decision, the part of the administration or the board. I don't know how that was finally, it was probably a mutual decision that that's how that would look um, on our webpage. So is there good work being done there and, or, and does it have limitations still on it? I feel like, okay, I have a couple of takes. Um, Like, one thing that I'm concerned about is the fact that, um, it goes back to what you were saying, Allison, about like how somebody in the executive, something at the university had heard about the things that had gone on and decided to keep it like, I don't know, quiet, but like not understanding maybe that like people would be impacted by it. So then that goes to, I don't know, having like a straight white cis executive board who doesn't like automatically empathize when people are slighted. But I also think like, I don't know, for me, that's kind of like rich that I don't know, the university would say something like, oh, yeah, like we get it. Like racist things were put in the black student organization and anti-Semitic stuff for res life and homophobic stuff for um alliance and I don't know it's just to me that seems so ridiculous to even take a stance to be like oh yes we don't tolerate that but gay people can't get married in our chapel Mm. (laughs) but but I don't know but I, I also think about the diversity statement that you were just talking about and how when the statement that was written by um civic which is the commission for an inclusive Valparaiso community had written Um, the diversity and inclusion statement, it was reviewed by the board or the executive part of the university, and so much stuff had to be taken out the first time. Stuff that was the meat of the inclusion that held people accountable for going against the statement of diversity and inclusion. Like, if you are going to spread hate speech, if you are going to be hateful and hurt people, this is our view on that. A lot of that stuff was deleted from the original statement. So again, it goes back to this thing, like you said, Reagan, just like acknowledging it, but then, you know, taking all the heat away from it. It's like having a mask mandate in Indiana, but no retribution if you don't wear a mask. You know, it's just like, it's like a stance and name only. So I don't know, in terms of like, are we progressing? 
I would say that we're getting better at covering our butts <laughs> to where we can put out a statement like, oh, yes, we believe in diversity and inclusion, but, oh, the cameras were off. Bummer. Oh, there was a formal investigation. Bummer. But we don't know what happened. Oh, nobody knows. Bummer. Like, you know, it's just like, okay, but you can write an email, which, great, I would love that, to have that sort of recognition that, like, hey, this thing happened, and I'm going to email you about it because I recognize it, but then nothing after that. Don't just recognize it. To me, that's not progress. That's you getting better at, like, marketing yourself as somebody who cares hmm. versus actually taking a step to do something. I don't know. That's my hot take. Um. <laughs> that's Willow's hot take on Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio, uh, with me, Allison, Willow, and Reagan. And we are discussing right now a student story from the campus collection. Um, he identifies as gay and is talking about uh, the thin layer of acceptance he kind of imagines if he came out, he'd receive. But really seeing that deeper underneath... Um, when it really matters or when students who are underrepresented or marginalized um, are feeling the heat or the impact of discrimination, uh, individuals and institutions aren't like stepping up. Is that a good Mm -hmm. summary of the story? Yeah. Um, I mean, I also wonder this, I don't think the storyteller necessarily addresses this, so this is for us. Uh, we've talked about the impact the, the hush-hush culture would have had on the students who experienced the hate mail. What about the impact on the campus community more broadly? Like even those students who never would have heard about this happening at all. Like is there an impact of the hush-hush culture even for those people who never know that an incident happened, and what would that be? I mean, yeah. I, um, when you don't know about something, it's easy to say that those things don't happen. Um, so if, for example, you don't know that same-sex couples can't get married in the chapel, and you know that um, there is at least this diversity statement stating both religious and institutional toler- tolerance from Valparaiso University towards LGBT people, you're like, well, yeah, of course my university is fine. Like, we have an alliance. We have that group. We're still a Christian university with these values, and we still have uh, an LGBT group, and we still have, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z events. And I see these, uh, you know, it's it's a an instance of ignorance where not in any way meant to be harmful or cruel, but it's just another way for people to continue to not understand that these things are still happening today, and they are happening where you live. Mm -hmm. I think that goes back to, like, what we were talking about in terms of, like, making sure, like, LGBTQ news is in your newsfeed. Deb Porter, when she was on the show, talking about, like, you know, emails go out to parents about things that are happening, you know, specifically, I think maybe they even did one about Chesterton Middle School, like, Chesterton Middle School did a a thing where the teacher had to remove the Black Lives Matter and the pride flag from their classroom. Um, But there was a statement, you know, going out in an email and a flyer but it's like if you're not reading that if you're not subscribed to those sources and you're not actively seeking it out you don't know what you you don't know that it happens or not like I can't tell you how many oh I can't tell you how many times that like I talked to somebody and they just think that like 2015 with the gay marriage rights like across the U.S. solved everything Has this happened to you? Uh, This happens to me, like, more times than I can count. But it's just like, oh, that still happens to you? Oh, you can't hold hands in this place? That makes you feel uncomfortable? Why would it? 2015 happened. So it's just like this, like, total ignorance that it's just like, if you don't know that homophobic stuff is going to alliance or racist stuff is going to BSO, then you're just going to assume it doesn't exist. And then you're going to call people whiny snowflakes when they talk about Mm. their trauma because you literally have no evidence because you've barricaded yourself and news feeds and things to where you are not exposed to it whatsoever. So you literally think that it doesn't exist when it does. And that's what causes harm. So it's like what would have been helpful if it wasn't hush-hush, if Heckler had sent out an email talking about what had happened. I mean, again, that's just one step, but people have to know about it because then they just think it goes away. Is there more that if we were being consulted by the current administration oh, yeah. or the mm-hmm. board at Valparaiso University that 
that we would recommend. So Reagan, you were talking about a response by uh, Stacy Miller's office, the Office of Inclusion, um, to the "It's okay to be white" flyers. Like, is that um, enough? Is that the extent? Is there something else that also needs to happen when these sort of flare-ups come into a campus community, or maybe we can imagine this isn't just happening at universities? So. I mean, again, acknowledgement definitely needs to come through. I think there needs to be follow up from those kinds of things and not to the ex- not to the extent that like like, the, for example, the person who did hang up the um, it's OK to be white signs. They know who did that. Um, and, you know, they there wasn't any specific thing. So this person essentially got like a, a vandalism or a littering like Valpo version of a charge type of deal. Um so I don't think that this person's name needs to be put out there. I don't think that's helpful. I don't think that's safe for anybody involved. Yeah. But I think that we could have follow-up from, okay, so this happened and this is having an impact on it. So just like a follow-up. like Because the only reason I know that is because I specifically talked to Stacy about that. Um, so, you know, as a general person, I would like to know, okay, so there was follow-up here. We do know what happened. The situation has been taken care of type of deal. Um, when it comes to the fear of, well, what if this causes an initial or an additional hate crime or a copycat situation? Um, I'm a little mean and cranky, and I want to say we'll fix the camera, and if it happens again, then the problem is solved. Yeah, and also I don't understand in the example that the storyteller was giving us, like, would the MLK house not have burned down if it... Yeah. I So I... There's some assumed cause and effect yeah. here that cannot, should not be assumed yeah. without, you know, evidence of things. Yeah. <laughs> this is my least favorite argument. It's the slippery slope thing <laughs> that comes up everywhere. If you allow the gays to get married, people are going to be marrying horses and stuff. It's a slippery slope. <laughs> if we have Black Lives Matter on a barn on the side of Lincoln Way where people can see it, everybody's just going to go out and paint murals on their garages. It's a slippery slope. It's like, that is never an argument. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't happen. Stop it with the slippery slope. Yeah. I mean, I think it's uh, another reason to really emphasize that needs to be ongoing programming and workshops and conversations um, at, in the case of a university at various touch points like Welcome Week when the first years come onto campus or um, during, like it could be a like a core event. So that's Valparaiso University's first year experience where um, you would be having conversations about what is it that makes it so hard for us to have conversations about identity in this current political climate. Um, You would make the, uh, we have right now, it's called Can I, which is like the diversity inclusion equity training where it's like a two hour series of workshops that you can do to get more education about um, power and privilege um, and that sort of systemic ongoing education that's extracurricular or for some faculty members bringing it into their classrooms too but just as a administration really supporting that culture of let's be proactive so we're not always reacting only always always only reacting to some event when it actually when it actually happens no those things paired with stuff like that valpo does have like the bias hotline and the um the icc um as those exist now um ideally hopefully they'll get more teeth in the future just because i know that that is something that has been a problem or a complaint at least um but yeah those like educational moments combined with here is a very concrete thing that you if you personally witness something or experience something there is a method for you to reach out and to have that addressed mm-hmm. Yeah, and communicating that we have that bias incident report line has always been a challenge. So figuring out how to just do it over and over mm-hmm. and in better and better again. Um, parting thoughts on our way out the door today? Um, not too much. Just just remembering like what the whole process of, of support can look like. So not just 
naming it, not just letting it be hush-hush, taking a stand, having community conversations, um, and follow-up, just like a bias hotline. Make sure there's follow-up all the way through. That sounds good. (laughs) So that's it for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks again to our sponsors, Asana Yoga Center at asanacenter.com and Roots Market Cafe at rootsmarketcafe.com and at 108 East Lincoln Way in Valparaiso. We here at Welcome Project Radio love to support our local businesses. And if you enjoyed the stories you heard today, you can find more stories like this one on our website at welcomeproject.valpo.edu and wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to start a conversation with us or ask any questions like our lovely listener did today, you can email us at welcomeprojectradio at gmail.com. 